Hello, everyone. I'm Mike Sadam, and this is the Crucial Talks Podcast. And as you know, we believe if we want to understand behavior, we need to understand what drives people. So today, we have a great opportunity to speak to Esther Weinberg. Esther has been helping organizations and leaders for over 20 years. She was a Disney executive and is now an expert in developing organizational leadership. What I really love about Esther is how she develops organizational leadership. She gets organizations to change through positive relationships, through mentorship, and these relationships are based on dignity. And so she understands the importance of conversations to this change process. So without further ado, let's welcome Esther Weinberg to the Crucial Talks podcast. Thank you so much, Mike. I'm so excited to be here. I love the topic of Crucial Talks. So it's, you're, you're talk, we're talking the same game. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely are. So we really want to thank you for being part of the Crucial Talks podcast and our focus on understanding what drives people. So to begin, can you tell us a little bit about you and why you're so passionate about developing organizational leadership? Sure. I, it's a funny thing. So I've, I've been in the workforce doing some version of leadership, I would say, for the last over 20 years. And I remember, and, and I grew up through the ranks of, I started my career early on doing publicity and marketing. And it's funny because I actually think that having a career in marketing and publicity really does set you up for every phase of your career because uh, you're always getting visibility and looking to influence in every way of your life and career. And when I was at Disney many years ago, I remember a pivotal moment for me as I was sitting around an executive suite table and the CFO was sharing that a third of the workforce had left. So the head of sales and I were very frozen by it because a third of your workforce is leaving. It's not like two people have left or four people have left, a third. A third is really significant. He didn't seem bothered by it at all. Didn't seem bothered by it. I remember the head of sales and I saying, what's contributed to it? What's contributed to it? What's happened? Where where are these people going? And the head of sales said, well, we, we're a part of a major company. We don't have to worry about any of that. We'll always be able to attract and attract people. I remember thinking in that moment, well, what are we doing to create environments where people feel a level of not just opportunity? Because I think that, of course, if people feel like they have opportunity, they're going to stay. Where, why did people, did people leave because they were feeling that they were not in an environment where they couldn't feel that they had trust, respect, and safety? Because of that, that was just a signature moment for me. And I remember there was a there was a management consultant in the room and she wasn't bothered by any of this either. And I remember just the head of sales and I were, were frozen by it. And it was really a, a, a moment in time for me because I thought, what are we doing to really mobilize human potential and human performance and giving people an experience that I call dignity, how I define dignity is creating an environment of trust, respect, and safety at work. And how are we doing that in real time that we can measure it especially in retention, where people feel like they're thriving, they're staying, they're growing in our company. And so that was the moment when I thought, hmm, I might, I don't know if this career doing publicity and marketing is really for me. I think it lit a fire about this whole point that you were bringing about human performance and potential and how do I go and ignite that inside of companies? Because I found that that ignited a passion point in me. So 
while that story may not shine the greatest light on everything, it was a gift for me because it really ignited this latent passion in me to go out and do the work that I'm doing now. So odd story, but but it worked out great. (laughs) Well, I know. And I think you hit it right on the head on where a lot of organizations are in the country and in the world where, you know, we, we came out of the industrial revolution thinking about people like they were parts of cars and things like that, Mm -hmm. interchangeable part of a system that we just need to focus on it scientifically without recognizing that people really are social animals. And one of the main (laughs) themes of this podcast is that people are indeed social storytelling animals. And as social animals, we need each other and we Mm -hmm. need the esteem and trust we get from others. So what I'd like to start off with is this idea of esteem and trust, because I'd like you to talk to us about mentorship and why Mm -hmm. it's so important to leaders so that we can get to this place that you're talking about, trust, respect, and safety. Yeah. You know, when you talk about mentorship, it's a hot button for me because, I I mean, there's been a lot of data around mentorship and how it's a a really a huge retention tool. And when people think of mentorship, typically, and maybe I want to redefine it a little bit, because when people think of mentorship, typically they think of a relationship with another person who's going to provide something that they don't know. Most of them are informal relationships inside of organizations, or they might be in there's definitely student mentoring relationship, but I'm talking specifically within a corporate context. So just to, you know, frame it up that way. So most of the time mentorship in a corporate environment is formal. You know, I'm, you're a senior executive, I'm a lowly junior person, and you're going to mentor my skills, right? Or a lot of times there's something that's quite popular over the last few years, which is reverse mentoring, which means that I am young and I might know something really, I might be more savvy than you in a certain area, let's say technology or social media. And for those of you that, for those that are in different generations, like Gen Xers or boomers that may not have that affinity for, or not even, I, you know, I know someone who's a millennial who has no affinity for for technology. So, (laughs) so someone who's, who has an affinity, let's say for technology or social media, who is younger, and they may, they may go ahead and mentor someone that is older than them. And what, what I really say is that I want to take a step back because I talk about this concept of dignity that I just brought up to you, as you know, but I also talk about this concept of called the dignity zone, which is how do I, what is the behaviors, um, the construct to which I want to bring about how I'm being as a leader inside of my work environment. And that does not require me to have a fancy title. That just requires me to show up and have the right consciousness and motivation and mindset to be able to do my work in the best way possible. Like how do I treat myself with trust, respect, and safety? When I talked about dignity zone is now when I'm providing that for myself, how do I help provide that for you, for people inside of the company? What easiest way to understand it is I have a team. Like Mike, you oversee 170 people. How do you create that dignity zone for people that work for you? The way that I look at mentorship is when you are hired inside of a company, that chooses to take on this concept of a dignity zone, meaning how do we create these environments of trust, respect, and safety for ourselves, for our teams, for other people, for the organization. That means when you're hired, one of the tenets of being hired inside the dignity zone is that I am going to be a helping hand. I am going to come in and help 
I'm going to come in and assist. If there's something that I see that someone else doesn't know, I'm right there to be able to assist and help build capacity wherever is needed. That is a mentorship mindset. And then in the dignity zone, it is foundational. So it's regardless of title. It's regardless of age. It's frankly, regardless of expertise to a certain degree, because no matter what stage or phase you're in, it could be that you have a different spin on a way of seeing something that I don't really know. And I consider that mentorship because if there's a piece of information that you don't know, and I'm imparting my sagely wisdom on you, that could come from life experience. That doesn't necessarily have to come from job experience. And so in the dignity zone, that is a responsibility of every single person. I don't mean to forego your work and everyone's just helping each other and that's the end of everything and, and your work never gets done. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a real place and space in which mentorship, the context of that is how do I impart a piece of information to someone else they don't know? How do I share my experience, my either work experience or life experience with someone that helps to improve, alter, or elevate really their performance and their job performance or elevate their skills in a certain place that they wouldn't have known. So when I look at mentorship, I look at mentorship in that way, that it's not only a gift, it's really a responsibility and a way of thinking that's really different inside of companies now. And I really wish that all companies would take on this mindset of mentorship, but I call it like the ultimate mentorship, really, if you think about it. And that's a key tenet if you're going to create any organization that operates within what I call this dignity zone. Well, and I love this concept of dignity zone. And the fact we that I really like it is we talk about as systems on this podcast, we talk about systems and how to build capacity. So the fact that you said, hey, in this dignity zone, as a mentor, as everybody adopting these types of behaviors, everybody gets to have a part of of building that capacity and it goes right in line with one of the one of the concepts we talk about all the time on the podcast which is appreciative inquiry which Love is that concept. A great mm-hmm. and yeah it's it's awesome because it focuses on the positive so That's right. what i'm hearing from you with this context of mentorship with hey look it's a it's a behavior and again we talk about social identity on this on this show also and social identity talks about behaviors assigned to roles and that the roles we play with those behaviors is how we act. So I love what you're saying here, which is basically everybody can be a mentor. Everybody can be a leader. It doesn't replace what you do in work, but it adds this behavior in the dignity zone of be everybody being able to play their role, but having that behavior of mentorship built into it. Am I, is that sound about yeah. right? I, and, and let's even, I'll throw a piece of data in there too. So um, I'm sure you're familiar with Gallup, the global organization that provides lots of great data on the state of the global workplace. So their report from 2017 said that just 15% of employees worldwide are engaged in their jobs and 85% are functioning below their potential. Then you have the attitudes in the American workplace. I think it was study seven showed that 80% of workers feel stress on the job. So if you just look at it from that context, because people may be listening to this going, okay, well, that sounds nice, but how does it really benefit me? And I would really say dignity has been lost because people have had greater workload, greater workloads. There's obviously the generational differences still plays. I mean, we have to admit that still plays a course inside of organizations. 
the speed in which work is expected to be performed, technology, that all is kind of the underbelly of what we're talking about. So people come to me and they go, we really want to motivate people. Well, (laughs) come on. (laughs) If if you know how to motivate people, if motivation was just the secret to everything, and if we just had a rah-rah everybody, you know, then then every company would hire a, a squad of cheerleaders to get the pom-poms out every day and then we'd be done. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It's got to go deeper than that. You're right. right. <laughs> what you and I are talking about, I mean, look, what we are talking about is simple things that have a dramatic impact. So let's say this is, um, I'm going to go into a negative place here for a second, Mike, but I promise I'm coming out of it. Okay. So let's say, so let's say um, you don't debate with your coworker because you deem them argumentative. When, when the other person just doesn't always agree with you or you don't feel valued or valuable because your ideas aren't heard or they're not really seen or clarity of communication goes awry when you're moving too quickly to pause to really adapt your communication to the other person you're speaking with or why bother developing someone who reports to you when they messed up a couple of times already and you haven't had a moment to coach them and instead you're, you're giving them advice to fix them, which you know how well that works. Mm-hmm. Or you don't agree with another's decision, so you actively ignore them and encourage people to do the same. So the reason why I'm sharing all those, because that's very, very practical things that happen to all of us inside of companies. And that's why you and I are talking about mentorship and dignity, because when those things are inserted then wouldn't you lead with a degree of curiosity when you're saying, hey, you know what? Um, I'm deeming that someone is argumentative, but why are they really being argumentative with me? Hey, you know what? I'm talking to someone and I know that they're very direct and I'm not as direct. And I'm wondering, because I have a curious mindset on, because we're operating in the space of mentorship and dignity and in the dignity zone. Hey, you know, I'm really curious as to, if Mike is really direct and I'm not, I'm really curious as to what, how do I have to shift my behavior in order to make a greater impact with Mike? Can you imagine if everyone walked around with that lens? I bet you that 85% of functioning below their potential would really turn on its head. Well, and that's, uh, again, you're hitting so many great points here. So, and this is what I love about what you just said. So you gave us all these things that were, you know, quote unquote negative, right? Things we see in every organization, everywhere we go between people. But then you said something which was really awesome, which is if everyone walked around with this other lens on. And Mm -hmm. one of the things we always talk about here is changing the lens on how you're viewing the context of a situation will change behavior because it will change the conversation from one of where where it comes out as a negative to, and it really goes back to one of the tenets of appreciative inquiry that change starts right away with the communication. Mm-hmm. So what it sounds right. like to me is that relationships are just hugely important, but it's not just any relationship. It's a positive relationship where the the interest, the curiosity, the inquiry is coming from this positive space. So what I'd like to do is if you could talk a little bit more about the relationship leaders have with the teams they're entrusted to lead. Because back in episode 17 on this, I talked about fear in the workplace and how some Mm. leaders and organizations use fear and how it impacts decision-making and organization. So what I really love about your work 
is you don't focus on the negative behaviors. You recognize that leaders are there. Leaders do sometimes operate as bullies, but then you counter it by changing this lens you were talking about with this focus on dignity. So can you Mm. talk to us a little bit more about that and how it's really a key part of being a successful leader? Well, I think that there's a few things in what you're saying, which is um, I think we have to recognize what's going on in present day. And I think that you're uh, bringing up a lot of very great points about bullying or negative behavior. You know, look, um, we're living in a culture of the Harvey Weinstein cascade, um, the Me Too movement. And it's, I think, a clear demonstration of a breaking point. Now, I'm not just talking about for women. I'm talking about for respect at work. People want to feel that they're in an environment where they can really trust each other and feel safe. And I do think that um, you have to remember that simply eliminating bad behavior isn't enough. Positive behavior just doesn't automatically creep in (laughs) when (laughs) when certain – you see this when I get hired sometimes to to be brought in as an executive coach – And they'll say to me, you know, this person was like, I had this with someone a few months ago. They were saying, you know, you worked with him a couple of years ago. And the way that he treated people was, was he was very demanding. He had very sharp elbows. He would cut people off. People wouldn't feel heard. They would feel that there was no conversation with him. It was my way or the highway. And it was, it was very demeaning. And there was also a little bit of behavior where we, we kind of felt blamed sometimes too. And now, well, he got better. I love when people say this, he got better. And now some of those old habits are just creeping in. So it's funny because when I hear things like that, I hear, well, there's few things for sustainability. There's sustainability for the individual. So the executive that I work with clearly, where is his mindset and where his where is he keeping top of mind the behaviors that he wants to continue to emulate to create a different level of impact. And since he's so um, driven by return on investment, then how is he tying his new way of operating? And I put new way in quotation marks with the results. The other thing which speaks to what you were asking me before is the leader. Where is the leader's responsibility to make sure to be able to be a bit more hands-on. And I don't care about your level here, because sometimes I had someone say to me last week, which I had a laugh, she said, well, you know, this person doesn't have time. This executive doesn't have time to mentor the senior vice president. You know, she's 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 really big. And I said, well, what does that mean? She said, <laughs> she said well, she's really famous. I said, so? <laughs> so what, is, what does that mean? I, don't, I still don't understand. Um, you have a senior vice president, is a different story. A senior vice president is not who's a horrible manager and leader and making people feel really belittled. And where is the boss? So, so that's why it, you know, to use the old adage, it takes a village. So there's one point where the person themselves who's looking to shift has a degree of openness to shift their mindset and behaviors because they have a degree of awareness. So they're actually creating, actively creating and being and uh almost being their own overseer for their for their action plan and how are they growing and developing and seeing the results and the success of that. But there's also the team leader's responsibility that you no matter what the level, and I don't I don't care if your boss is the chairman of the board, if there is someone that is displaying behaviors that you do not want them to continue to emulate, 
you have to be able to step in and seize the moment and direct the conversation and to be able to have a level of appreciation, to use your word with them, for them to understand and continue to understand how when they aim their arrow and they're having successes, like the guy that I mentioned originally. So if he starts shifting his behavior and he's having great success with his constituents, well, where's the boss to say, you know, I really appreciated when you had that conversation with this attorney and when you were on this project, that it really transformed the outcome. Where is the responsibility of the leader to continue to punctuate those points? Because the ripple effects reach really wide. So when you become a leader and you oversee someone, your responsibility doesn't stop. You still have a responsibility to make sure that person is groomed and developed. And frankly, if it's not your affinity, then find someone who can do it, who is as good, who's better than you because it has to happen. I think that's the point we're talking about the dignity zone and mentorship is that this has to happen because when it happens, there's a degree of sustainability and change, unlike anything that we've seen that's really, then let's get down to brass taxes. It leads to retention. It leads to greater, greater a level of creative ideas. It leads to revenue. So there's real market differences by the leader stepping in and taking more hands-on approach. Absolutely, because again, every time I get to talk to somebody like you who's actually out there doing it, I see so much with the academics and the theory and everything that makes those things work. So what you're talking about here really comes down to this idea that we talk about on the podcast, which is a, a prototype. It's a model of behavior that people get to see so that they understand what behaviors are actually needed to fulfill their role in that group. And that's, again, it's exactly what you're talking about. And it's a, an awesome way to think because I know why this stuff works. And it's great to see that you are talking to people and telling them how to get this to actually happen, how to build this capacity and have this dignity zone where people do feel uh, trust and respect and safe with each other as a team. And so I wanted to go to what you also said, which is, you know, when we're trying to fix negative behavior or bad behavior, it's not enough. Mm -hmm. Because really the way I I look at it, and you can correct me anywhere here if I'm wrong or if you agree, Mm -hmm. but I look at it as kind of like a bell curve and those fixing bad behaviors, right? Policies, uh, progressive discipline, all that stuff can get organizations to the middle of the bell curve. It can get them to average. But yeah. to get beyond, to get to the right side of the bell curve, to get to the the part where there's excellence and creativity and innovation, we need to build those those positive capacities into our systems, whether that system is a team or an organization, because that's where you're getting what you said um, about getting better retention and higher creativity, which leads to revenue. Is that does that make sense to what you do in these organizations? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting thing because what I think we forget oftentimes is that we spend more time at work than anywhere else. And I know it's probably at this point, it's very much a cliche what I just said. And so how you show up anywhere is how you show up at work. And and I have had people who dispute me on that. Oh, you know, I show up at work and I'm much more... And I'm much more anal or I'm much more in the weeds and I'm much more in the details, but you don't, your life isn't a parking lot. 
And so if there's behavior that you're demonstrating that is unpleasant, to say the least, in the workplace, I bet you you're demonstrating the same kind of behavior with your family, with your friends, at the supermarket. I mean, really. So that's why I think you and I are encouraging what we're talking about. And, and I just want to also add in a couple of more things because I just want to make sure that people are really getting this, that it's not just, and when we talk about behavior, it could be something as simple as tone. So there was a, a great study that was published on PubMed that found that surgeons who sounded glib and unconcerned were more likely to have litigation brought against them than someone who had an empathetic tone. So tone shapes perception because tone influences how we feel, not just what we think. How many times have you sat in a meeting across from someone and their tone is terrible, negative, condescending, um, argumentative, and just a shift in that to your point, Mike, about mindset and awareness. So much of this is also awareness because I do believe that if people knew better, they would do better. But I do think because of all the stresses that we were talking about earlier, stress doesn't necessarily bring out our most glamorous (laughs) and positive (laughs) behaviors. So that has to be taken into account. And most of the times I would say, if you're a leader listening to this and you go, where do I begin? The first thing that I say to someone, because I remember there was a client of mine, she was saying to me that there's a guy that works where he's really, really junior and he just does not, and he's an attorney, he just doesn't know how to write. His, his language isn't precise. He's not answering the questions. And she said, so I coached him. I said, okay, well, tell me when you say coaching, because lots of people use that language, what exactly do you mean by that? She goes, well, I pulled him into my office. I told him what he was doing that worked. And I told him what he didn't work, what didn't work. I said, well, that, so first of all, I'm glad that you did that, but that's not coaching. She was like, what are you talking about? I said, coaching, having a coaching conversation is if you brought him into your office and you asked him questions to get where his thinking was at. Because what's happening for you is you're not looking at the cause, you're looking at the effect. And unless you look at the cause, it's like you're looking at an apple tree and yelling at the apple tree that it produced apples when you thought it would produce oranges, but the seed that you planted was actually for an apple tree, but you didn't realize it. <laughs> so so that's where, that's where leaders have to start is that is really developing a lens of curiosity is where on the timeline between when I first gave them that project or like in this example, when she delegated a, a brief to be written, where along the timeline, what was this guy's thinking? How did he track through how he was going to accomplish and achieve the project and where did it fall short? And that's where she goes to work, not in telling and selling. And that, I think, also from a behavioral standpoint, the second you start telling and selling people rather than asking more inquisitive questions and really seeing where someone was thinking, it's a recipe for disaster because you're not developing that appreciative inquiry, really getting where the person is standing from. You just want to fix and move on. And people are not a carburetor. And we have to remember that. (laughs) Exactly right. Because one of the episodes on here was about uh, being the next contestant on the name, shame, and blame game. Uh, and, uh, you know, yeah. that comes from a lot from risk and safety discussions where, you know, we in our organization, something goes wrong. We tend to fall back to if the person just cared more or if the per- person just tried harder. When it's really like, 
you know, 99.9% of the people, if not higher, want to do a good job. They don't want to do something wrong. So when we when we come at them with this, hey, you messed up. Hey, this is where you're messed up. This is where the problem is. Now they start feeling not as part of this team that you talk about with respect and trust and safety, but they feel like they're an out group when the rest of the organization is now the in group and they feel they get to feel defensive. They shut down. They don't want to deal with it in a positive way because we're kind of putting them in that box by doing this telling and selling. Uh, So it totally makes sense that this telling and selling concept is a recipe for disaster. And if we can Mm -hmm. just change that conversation we have, we would have more opportunity to actually get better and succeed. So, and that leads me to uh, to a question I want to go over with you. So we talked about digging the work workplace and what exactly it is when you you mean it. So if you can talk anything about any more about that, that'd be great. But what I want to hit with that digging the workplace is why is it so important for us to have these types of conversations and this kind of communication about dignity? Well, because people really people thrive. I mean, they, I think there's enough data. And I think going back to Gallup, I think Gallup did one of the largest millennial surveys where they said the millennials want to work for a coach and not a boss. And so, and especially because of the numbers that we're seeing from engagement, it's, there's something that has to shift. And uh, we know that hierarchical organizations, I mean, uh, making decisions hierarchically hasn't worked for a long time and that has really shifted. So I would say that that's accurate. But I would say if you want a different level of engagement. So, for example, I hear a lot from people where they say where people are trying to be very creative, as an example. It's hard to be creative if you don't feel like you can trust someone. It's hard to be creative if you don't feel like your ideas are going to be respected. And it's hard to be creative if you feel like your ideas are going to be shut down all the time. So you don't really have an environment to feel safe. So I think for 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 the future of the workforce right now and the growth potential that we're seeing at work. I don't think that we can continue to put up with the shenanigans that has been. And I think that the Me Too movement, what's happened with Harvey Weinstein, while that's happened, you know, now I think the Weinstein case is almost about a year old since he was outed. But I do think it's created this wake in the workforce that people want more. They just want more. They want to feel like when they come to work, that because they're spending more time at work in any place else, we have a responsibility to groom and grow people. And if we don't have that responsibility, frankly, they're going to go someplace else. And that's what I think people really is the danger in all this. Look, at the end of the day, you want to groom people that are going to be able to go off and do the great work that they're going to be able to do no matter what, no matter where. You can't hold on to people. You can't look at life that way. But I will say that at a certain point, you're going to have to be very, very careful because you don't want people leaving so fast. That's why there was um, there was a study that was done. I know I'm like the the queen of data today, but um, there was a uh, I think there was a study done by the Global Leadership Forecast in 2018, and they were talking about that developing leadership potential earlier, earlier in people's careers. They said that organizations that actually extend development of high potential talent below senior levels are 4.2 times more likely to financially outperform those who don't. I think that's a great reason to start developing what we 
you know, what we've been talking about today, that trust, respect, and safety, because it's one thing to expect it from people, but we also have to teach it. We have to teach people these things and we have to continue to punctuate it. So I do think that there's a measure of the, how we hire people, the expectations for when they get to work, the kind of mindset that we're, that we are um, hiring to, but every organization also has the responsibility to develop exactly what we're talking about early so that when people want to stay in the organization, that it gets inculcated in the culture faster. Absolutely. So this idea of this idea of culture and mindset and the responsibility of the organization to develop it early. Uh, I don't want to get us too far off track here, but mm-hmm. when we're bringing people into our organizations, you know, I see a lot on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on Indeed, and Monster.com, mm-hmm. and all these places. I see a lot of this focus on, hey, look, come work for us. This is what you get paid. This is what you do. Uh, these are your your benefits. But what I'm what I'm gathering from you is maybe there could even be a better way of how we're bringing people in and the kind of mindset we're bringing people in with because we may bring those same people in with the same skill sets we want but if we're able to communicate in a way that we understand that the change doesn't happen when we figure out a problem the change actually starts happening with the conversations we have can that same mindset be put into our recruitment policies and marketing and how we bring people in with that mindset. So we're focused more on these social drivers like trust and love and esteem mm-hmm. and belonging mm-hmm. early on before we even ever make contact with these people. I would agree with that because it's a very, you know, look, it's a very attractive concept. People want to work. I mean, just think of, just think of it when you sit in a meeting and someone walks in and they've got a face on or they look really negative or, you know, someone ha- is using a tone that's put a little bit off-putting or their language a little off-putting. But then you've got someone who's much more optimistic, really positive, is, uh, I mean, not being Pollyanna, but is being really positive. That's if something's not working, they're looking for new solutions. That brings you closer to them. So as for if I was a recruiting professional, what are the things that brings people towards me? that makes them uh, be attracted to me. And you're right, the perks are one thing, but the mindset and then how we're asking those questions to recruit the right mindset and to also give people the notion that you've got, you know, you've reached this level, but our absolute dedication and devotion to you is we're gonna take you to the next. That's part of it too. A lot of organizations say that, but a lot of times they don't really do it. So we have to have a fiercer dedication to not to developing that latent potential talent earlier in our recruitment also when they're onboarded. That makes complete sense because, again, you're you're talking about so much that has been covered on this podcast before. And I even had an episode on Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. And Mm -hmm. and what you're talking about, and I I have talked to organizations about this, I even – I even put it in my slides where I have the pyramid up there and I show them that, hey, look, the bottom the bottom portions of that of that hierarchy of needs, most organizations can get there. They can promise you salary and they can promise you health benefits and things like that. But the things you're talking about are those social motivators at the top of the pyramid. 
That's right. The, the self-esteem, the love, That's right. the trust, That's right. the relationships. And you're even talking about the very top, which I love that you brought this up because I don't get to talk about it much. But you're talking about, hey, we're promising you we're going to bring you to the next level. And you're basically talking about self-actualization and helping new people that come in understand that we're not just bringing you in for the skill set you have now, but we're willing to look out for you and bring you to that next level and continue to build and give you these these things that help you with that that really the top of the pyramid of self-actualization and how that can impact just everybody's performance, not just at work, but life in general. I think that's just an awesome concept you just covered. Mm-hmm. So this this idea of self-actualization, and I know you're you're busy and we're gonna wrap this up with this last question, but I have sure. to hit it. So we've talked about all this stuff to deal with teams, leading teams, organizations and systems, and the Crucial Talks podcast covers change at these levels. It mm. talks about groups, it talks about team behavior. But we also talk about self-transformation. Mm-hmm. So what I'd like to wrap up with is any advice you have for me and anyone listening <laughs> right now that if we could change one thing, as soon as we're done with this podcast, we could change one thing today, what would you say that should be? You know, it's uh, I, I love this question because it's very practical and pragmatic. And I would say it in this simple way. Dignity starts with you. You cannot force the executives and leaders around you to create a a workforce or a workplace and a culture of dignity. You can't. You can't go into work and expect one day, poof, overnight, someone sprinkled the magic fairy dust and all of a sudden everyone has transformed in sunshine and unicorns. It doesn't work that way. Dignity starts with you. So you can start by bringing dignity to your own life, to your work, and to all of your relationships. When you walk into work, create a plan. If I'm going to create a dignity zone for myself where I have trust, respect, and safety for me, what boundaries do I need to create? Where am I looking to, um, what conversations do I need to have that I've been reluctant to have? Where do I need to mentor where I have been reluctant to mentor or where I need to step up? Where can I get visibility for myself and my colleagues that's really crucial in order to growing myself and to growing them? Those are all basic things that you can do today or tomorrow, and it does not require a title. It just requires you to show up. Great. That is, that's perfect. And I think everybody can understand that, that, hey, look, we can't really change our organization overnight. I mean, Appreciative Inquiry says, hey, let's at least, let's at least come up with this dream phase on if we could, Mm -hmm. what it looked like, but it recognizes Mm -hmm. that this stuff takes time. But the fact that you have just said, hey, look, there is something you can change, and there is something you can change right now, and that's your own mindset, the own, your right. own lens you use to look at the world that you occupy. And if you want to create this dignity zone, how do you do it in yourself and around your span of control? And by doing that, you're planting the seeds you talked about earlier. Like you're, you want an orange tree. You're not going to plant an apple seed. You're going to plant right. an orange tree tree seed. <laughs> so, uh, I'm going to start the next podcast on agriculture in next year. So anyway, so so I love this idea of you, you've got to plant the right seed and you can do that by self-transformation, asking yourself the right questions, knowing that the questions you ask don't lead to change. They start to change. 
That's right. That that's that is just an awesome place, I think, to to kind of leave today's episode. So for me to you, I just want to thank you so much for for being on the podcast. And I know after this conversation, because I'm thinking it myself, there's going to be people that want to get information from you. They're going to want to talk to you more about the value you add and can add to organizations and individuals. So what's the best way for people to contact you and what kind of services do you offer? Okay, it's super simple. You go to mindlightgroup.com. It's like it sounds, mind like your head, light like a light bulb, group like all of us. Uh, Mindlightgroup.com. There's information on everything there, how to get in touch with me, our products and services, everything you ever could want to know. (laughs) Awesome. And I'll put a a link to that on the show notes so people can click on that, go right to you. Uh, Just from this conversation alone, I know you have a ton of value you can add to other people. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation, got to learn a lot, and really appreciate the time. And thank you so much, Mike, because I have to tell you that this conversation is not a conversation that happens every day. And I'm so glad that you've created a venue where people can learn and hear experience and then practically go into work and do something different. So thank you for that. Well, thanks a lot, Esther. Well, everybody, I really enjoyed that conversation with Esther and I learned a lot. So I hope you also got a lot out of it because it agreed with everything we talk about on the Crucial Talks podcast. So if you have a chance... I'd love for you to visit the website at www.crucialtalks.com and connect with me via email, LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter. And if you need anything from me or would like me to speak at your organization, please reach out. Also, if you could do me a quick favor, share the podcast, leave a review, and rate it. I would greatly appreciate it. There's a lot of noise out there, and this helps us rise above that noise so we can share these great conversations like the one we just had with Esther. Have a great week, and remember, if we want to understand behavior, we need to understand what drives people.